podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Thursday. It is January the 4th. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all feeling better than me anyway. Uh, Right, folks. It is Thursday. It is Questions Day. And as we don't have Premier League action this weekend, there's not really a whole lot to be talking about. We do have some FA Cup games uh, ahead of us tonight. Went through them quickly yesterday. Uh, We have Crystal Palace versus Everton tonight in the FA Cup. Um, which, you know, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to. I, I think it's going to be a, a pretty decent game. Um, and it's nice to have, you know, it's a glorified Premier League game because it is two Premier League teams. It'll be interesting to see how strong both teams go. And then that leads us into tomorrow when we get three games and then a ton of games Saturday, ton of games Sunday, and just the one on Monday. Um, but we do then have football Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday because we have League Cup semi-final first legs on Tuesday, Wednesday. So games every night from tonight through next Wednesday, or every day from tonight through next Wednesday, which is nice. Uh, but it is questions day, and we have one, two, three. We have four questions. One of them is extremely long, so that's going to eat up a decent amount of time. But I'm going to go through the whole thing. Um, I hope I haven't done one or two of these before. I I don't think I have. They were all asked after Christmas. I don't think I've really done. Did I do questions last week? I think I don't think I did. I can't really remember. Um, I haven't been very well, folks, for the last week and a half or so. So um, 
really struggling to shake this and my mind is not my own. But we're going to jump into this and we'll give it a go. I know I answered Ron Burgundy's what is a football-related topic that you would like to see uh, a good documentary or book made of that hasn't been made. I know I've answered that. So I'm going to start with Steve P. Given it's the holiday season, obviously that's that's now gone, but I hope everybody enjoyed it and I hope you haven't all taken down your Christmas trees. Mine is staying up till February. I don't care. Mine is staying up till February. I'm tempted, maybe not this year, because I'd have to seek approval from the boss. I'm tempted to keep the tree up all year, one year, but change the decorations. So, you know, have it as Christmassy as you can until, say, the end of January, because January's a miserable, old, cold, wet, rotten month. No one enjoys a January. And then maybe do it in kind of a spring type of theme for February, March, spring, kind of winter into spring theme. But, you know, bright and and colourful and enjoyable. And then Easter theme. And then, I don't know, some sort of summery theme. Then an autumn theme. Then, because I, what I really want to do is I want to do a Christmas tree, but with Halloween decorations. That's the whole purpose of this. And I'm thinking next year I might actually just put the tree up for Halloween and decorate it for Halloween. Um, because you know what it is, right? You need to have joy in your life. And a Christmas tree does bring some joy, in my opinion. And I just kind of feel like it can lift the mood a, a little bit if you're having a bit of a rotten day. Now, I understand that not everybody uh, has the space to have the cr- Christmas tree up all year round. I'm just lucky enough that we have a room that we don't use a whole lot um, and we can put the Christmas tree in there. And then, you know, you can walk in, you can sit with it, you can have a look. at it. It's, it's great. So mine is staying up until at least February. I know some people already have theirs down. Um, the great curmudgeon Trev Downey took his down on New Year's Eve, which was late for him. Uh, I think he got it down on Stevens's Day or Boxing Day last year. Um, not a Christmassy man is Trev. Not a Christmassy man. Send Trev Downey pictures of Christmas trees. That's my my mission for you all. Send Trev Downey a picture of your Christmas tree and uh, try and try and let's shove some Christmas cheer into the fella. Um, anyway, back to the question. Given that it's the holiday season, who from the football world would you most like to invite round for Christmas dinner and why? Uh, what would you ask debate with them over a large glass of port? Well, um, let's see. So we should point out first and foremost, uh, I do the best Christmas ham in the world. My mother makes the best stuffing and the best roast potatoes. Turkey is, I think, fairly standard across the board. But I definitely do the best ham. Just so you all know, you're not invited, but just so you're all aware that whatever ham you're having at any point is inferior to the ham that I'll be having. Um, Who would I invite? I'd love... A Regal Saki would be one. I'd love to just talk to him about that that team. Uh, Bertie Vokes would be another to talk to him about that German team. I'd quite like to have a sit down with Pep Guardiola and just ask him why. Simple, simple. Why, Pep? Why? And and Jurgen Klopp, to ask him why it is that he pretends like transfer windows are some sort of evil creation when, you know, most of your team was bought during transfer windows. These are the questions I'd like answered. Um, Isaac Gilding, hope you had a good time off. Couple of questions for the part of you doing them first and most crucially, how is Toby doing? Saw your Christmas Day treat and ha- tweet and how he's getting on. Um, Toby is doing well. Toby is back. Well, he was back to full lunacy within probably an hour or two of the seizure. Um, he's had a few of them. They don't seem to have any lasting effects. I have spoken to a vet who says that the likelihood is that. He doesn't remember them or anything. He doesn't actually know that he had one. He'll have, he'll know that something happened. He just won't know what it was and he won't remember that he would have been scared or whatever. Uh, but it is terrifying when it happens. 
Um, he has puppy epilepsy. And that morning, what I think happened was we'd gotten the dogs, the three of them, some presents. And one of the things we got, which was from Molly, was this toy that was kind of crinkly. And when you shook it, it made crinkly noises. And Toby, Toby got really excited by this toy, which wasn't for him, and shook the bejesus out of it. And I think he just shook the bejesus out of his own head. And that's basically what happened. Um, it was quite scary. It really was. Because he's so small as well. And, you know, he's only, he's three. And I don't know, there's just some sort of instinct in you that kicks in and wants to protect them. And it was scary, but because because we've had the experience of dealing with a couple of them before, it was easier to know what to do and what precautions to take, like putting a towel under his head to protect his head in case he started getting tremors and just to, you know, keep trying to massage um, the back of his neck so that nothing gets caught in his throat or anything and just to reassure him he's aware that there's people there it's just to reassure him that things will be okay and and he's fine like he is a lunatic within probably an hour and a half of the incident he was trying to start fights with my feet uh which is a favorite thing of his to do and trying to start fights with molly which is something he does regularly and then instantly regrets it because molly will kick his ass Sam, our, our biggest dog, who's a collie, is very gentle and placid. And Toby is a lunatic. And the two of them are really closely bonded. And Sam allows Toby to lep at him, to nip at him, to do whatever, and just sort of smiles it off. Molly, on the other hand, takes revenge. Um, and, and Toby doesn't deal well with, with that. Anyway, that's that. So moving on to the question. Uh, with the January transfer window coming up, how good of an 11 can you make from past January incomings to the Premier League? I've been thinking about it, and Liverpool really do have some corkers in the past with Sturridge, Suarez, Coutinho, and Van Dijk. Are there any other clubs that have made this many good January transfers? Uh, My first thought is no. There are a couple of clubs that have had some belters. So United had probably the best January w- window overall when they got Vidic and Everett. I would put that above the Sturridge Coutinho arrivals. So I did actually see this question just before I started recording and I did quickly uh, come up with an 11. So goalkeeper was the issue. Couldn't find many goalkeepers that had moved in January. Certainly not many good ones. So the two I came up with were Shay Given joining Manchester City uh, from Newcastle United in the January transfer window of 2009 and Martin Dubravka joining Newcastle, uh, though that was initially a loan deal, uh, but he did join in in the January of 2018. But I'm going to go with Shea Given. I do think he was a better goalkeeper than, than Dubravka. Uh, the back four was was really easy to pick. So at right back, we're going to go with Branislav Ivanovic, who, for my money, prior to Trent, the best right back the Premier League had seen. Um, Ivanovic was brilliant for Chelsea. Absolutely brilliant for Chelsea. Uh, he joined them in January 2008, so he's going to be my right back. Um, Virgil van Dijk will be one of the centre-backs, obviously joined Liverpool in January 2018. So I think that's uh, an easy pick. And then the other two members of the back line will be the United pair, Nemanja Vidic and Patrice Evra. And they joined United in January 2006. So... Ivanovic, Van Dijk, Vidic, Evra in front of Shea Given. Um, in front of them, we're going to go with another Serbian, Nemanja Matic, as the holding midfielder, signed for Chelsea for the second time 
in January 2014 and was obviously a vital part of the title-winning team under Mourinho and the title-winning team under Antonio Conte. So he's going to sit at the base of the midfield. Uh, We're going to have two number eights. The first one uh, is going to be Bruno Fernandes of Manchester United. He obviously joined United in January of 2020 and has been absolutely outstanding for them. Not having a great season this year, but nobody at United is. But he is their best player. He did carry them to top four. He was their best player last year. Uh, we're going to go with Bruno Fernandes. The other number eight is the other Bruno, Bruno Gomerich, signed by Newcastle in January 2022. Um, how Newcastle got a free run at him, I'll never understand. 40 million, absolute bargain. I know he's got a buyout in his new deal, but it's probably close to 100 million. And I... I don't think he's at Newcastle next season, if I'm being completely honest. I think someone is going to pay that buyout. I think he's a magnificent player. Um, my front three, then, is maybe a little bit biased, but I don't care. It's all Liverpool. I'm going to go Daniel Sturridge and Felipe Coutinho as the sort of wide forwards, uh, inside forwards. Both joined Liverpool the same year. January 2013. Um, Sturridge was incredible. Sturridge can be the nine. I don't really care which way you, you, you want to put it. Sturridge can be the nine or he can play off the right. I, I'm, I'm easy with either, but he's in. He's in. He was incredible for Liverpool. Absolutely incredible for Liverpool. And so was Coutinho. And their arrival saved Brendan Rodgers' job and propelled Liverpool. And the main reason it propelled Liverpool was the fellow that they were partnered with, who is, in my opinion, the most talented player the Premier League has ever seen, the best player the Premier League has ever seen. Not the Premier League's greatest ever, he doesn't have the longevity, but Luis Suarez. I don't think the Premier League has had a player as good as him. And I, and, and I love Thierry Henry. I don't think he was as good as Suarez. So Suarez arrived January 2011. So that's what I've got. I've got Shea Given in goal. Ivanovic, Vidic, Van Dijk, Evra, Matic and the two Brunos, Sturridge, Suarez and Coutinho. That's my uh, January 11. Zucchino. Um, Zucchino? I assume it's Zucchini, but Zucchino? Zucchino? I assume so. Um, This is a long list of players. Uh, World class during the peak, yay or nay? So we're going to go through them. Uh, Gail Clichy, nay. <coughs> Kyle Walker, nay. Very good, not world-class. Pepe Reina, nay. Very good, not world-class. Felipe Coutinho, yay. He was world-class. He had a, about 18 months where he was world-class. Mesut Ozil, I believe, was world-class prior to joining Arsenal. I think at Real Madrid, it's undeniable that he was world-class. So I'm saying yay. Gennaro uh, Gattuso, nay. No, good, very effective, not world-class. David Platt. Talked about him today, actually, with Carl Matchett on Scouted. I think he was world-class at Villa. His two seasons at Villa, and all bar the year at Juventus of his time in Italy, like there's five seasons there where he was outrageously good as an attacking goal-scoring midfielder. And for England, he did the business routinely. I'm going to say David Platt was world-class. Not, the, not by the time he got to Arsenal. I think he'd started to decline physically. And obviously Arsenal played him a lot deeper. And with Burkamp in the team, I could see what the idea was it was the wrong execution. Had he played in the midfield three or as a 10 behind Burkamp and Stryker, I, I think it could have worked, but it didn't work the way they did it. Uh, Jens Lehmann, no. No, not world-class. Very, very good, but not world-class. Kaylor Navas, not world-class. Very good, but not world-class. Joaquin, I don't think he was world-class. I think he could have been. 
I think he had the talent to be. I just don't feel like he ever took that last step. The level right below it for a number of years, for sure. But I don't think he was world class. JJ Akacha, no, too inconsistent. An outrageously gifted player, one of the most talented players I've ever seen. And one of the most fun players. Like, if you're making an all-time fun 11, JJ Akacha's in that team. Just, just consider the fact that for a time, in the years, hang on. I believe it was 2000 to 2002. No, it's only one year. The 2001, 2002 season. Um, Paris Saint-Germain had Ronaldinho and JJ Akacha in their team. And that's before all the Qatari money, or yeah, Qatari money came in. JJ scored 10 and 33. Uh, Ronaldinho got 13 and 40. I don't know how many games they played together, but let's assume it's around 30. I've I've memories of watching a couple of those games and just been in awe of how gifted those two were. But I don't have great memories of them. Like I wouldn't, I don't have vivid memories of specific games. But just imagine having those two geniuses in your team. Imagine how much fun that would be. Where did PSG end up that season? Uh, they finished fourth in the league. They won the Intertoto Cup. They had Gabriela Heinze, Mikel Arteta. Maurizio Pochettino, Nicholas and Elke was in that team as well, which I'd completely forgotten until just now. Um, Didier Domi, decent left back. Bernard Mendy was a solid right back. They also owned Lauren Robert. He was on loan to Newcastle. Uh, and Sylvain Distan, also on loan to Newcastle. That actually could have been a, a better team, but like, just imagine that front three. Okacha, Ronaldinho, and Anelka. How many goals did Anelka score that year? Not many by the looks of it. Nicholas Anelka, career statistics. He got loaned at the Christmas of that year to Liverpool. PSG didn't work for him. But it should have. That should have been lethal. Imagine having those two providing for you. That's disappointing, Nicholas. You've let me down there. But no, JJ wasn't world-class. Uh, Will Saha wasn't world-class either, but a, a tremendous player. Um, Gaza, yes. Pre-knee injury, Gaza was world-class. Late 80s, uh, up until the knee exploded, Gaza was world-class. After that, just super talented, but inconsistent and physically was falling apart. Gary Lineker. I mean, certainly a world-class goal scorer. I don't think you could argue with that. Lineker scored for fun. Um, you look at the numbers with Leicester. Uh, let's say, let's go from 83, 22 and 39 in the league, then 24 and 41, moves to Everton, 30 and 41, goes to Barcelona, 20 and 41, then 16 and 36, and then a bad season, 88, 89. But if I remember rightly, he was playing on the wing in that season. Then he went to Spurs 24 and 38, 15 and 32, 28 and 35. Gary Lineker was a world-class goal scorer. And I mean, the record for England speaks for itself. But as a player, as an overall player, no, I don't think he was. I don't think he was a world-class player. World-class goal scorer, though, without question. Jamie Redknapp, no. <laughs> Good player. Limited in certain areas. Wasn't the quickest. Ran kind of awkward as well. Had like a real stiff running motion. Good pass for the ball though. Robbie Keane wasn't world class. Really good goal scorer. And at international level, tremendous goal scorer. But no, not world class. 
Santi Cazorla, a level below world class, but a wonderful player to watch. Thomas Rizicki, exactly the same. I think Rizicki could have been, but the injuries held him back. Uh, Morientes, no. Morientes was sort of the Alvaro Morata of his era. A good striker, not a great striker, and better as a foil for the primary goal scorer. In Morata's case, it's Griezmann. In Morientes' case, it was Raul, who Griezmann is the closest thing to Raul in the modern game. Um, Balotelli, no, 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 no. Had the talent to be, but didn't have the mindset. Uh, Chiellini was world-class. Yeah, Giorgio Chiellini was a world-class defender. There's no no way around that. Mykon, that's a tough one. Like, if you look at Mykon at his peak at Inter, I do think you can make the case that he was world-class for probably three years. But when he fell off the cliff, he fell off harder than any player I've ever seen. Like, he went from being probably a top two or three right back in the world to being overly unplayable within a month. And then Garrett Bale snatched his soul. Like, he had been poor before the Bale games. And then when Garrett Bale did that to him, and he really should have been arrested for what he did to him, um, like that's that's illegal in most countries to to just abuse somebody in that manner. Uh, he was never he was a shell of himself after that. Pedro, no, not world class. Very very good player, but not a world class player. Isco had the talent to be, didn't have the mindset or the work rate or the attitude or the application, and ultimately is a disappointment. Uh, Thiago Silva, I don't think he was world class personally. I think when he was at his peak, we were very much in a in a down era for centre backs, and he was like he was never the best centre back in the world, regardless of what people trying. Vincent Company was better than him. I would say Company was world class. I don't. Silva was very, very, very good for a couple of years. The season at Milan where they won the title, you could I think there is a case that he was world class that year. But I'm gonna say no, but he's close. Or he was close. He's certainly not now. Uh Verratti was world class, yeah, for certain. I think Ivanovic was world class. I think Ivanovic is is one of the best right backs I've ever seen. From a defensive point of view, he was incredible. Zabaleta, no, but but very good, very reliable. Marcelo was world-class on the ball and largely a train wreck off the ball. I don't think he was world-class overall. I don't think he was. I think a lot of people got caught up in the flicks and the tricks and how good he was on the ball. I take an argument that he was, though, in fairness to him. He did have a great career. And he was outstanding for a couple of... Yeah, you know what? We'll say he was. We'll say he was. Uh, the De Boer brothers. Um, Frank was, Ronald wasn't. Ronald was very good. Frank, I think, was world-class for a couple of seasons. Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, Alexis was world-class for a couple of years at Arsenal. Aubameyang. That's an interesting one. I, I think he was. I do think he was. Uh, Mkhitaryan at Shakhtar and Dortmund, yes. At United and Arsenal, absolutely not. Kagawa, no. Moutinho, Joe Moutinho, no. Willian, no. John Terry. I mean, kind of like Thiago Silva. Very good, but no, I, I don't think he was world class. Um, Evra. Yeah, Evra's best years, he was he, he was world-class, to be fair to him. Owen Hargreaves, no, the injuries took care of that. Didier Drogba is a really interesting one. I mean, you look at the numbers and it's an automatic no. 
hugely inconsistent as a goal scorer. But his all-round performances were absolutely incredible. And as a big game player, you couldn't find better. So I would say yes on Drogba. James Rodriguez, no, had the talent, but like like Isco, didn't have the the attitude or the aptitude. And ultimately, is a disappointment. I'd put Joe Cole a level below them. Um, had the talent at West Ham and never became anything close to what he should have been. Inzaghi, no, very limited footballer. Obviously scored a lot of goals, but couldn't do anything outside the 18-yard box. Teddy Sheringham, no, I'd say a level just below. Very, very good. Andy Cole, no, but a, a tremendous goal scorer. Kind of the English Isco, uh, the English Inzaghi in many ways. Uh, Riyad Mahrez, the season at Leicester where they won the league, he was certainly trending that direction, but after that, no. Vardy, no. Henrik Larsson. And the issue with Henrik Larsson is that he played in Scotland for his peak. But, I mean, you look at the numbers. He arrived as a winger. Bear in mind, he arrived as a winger. 19 goals in 46 games. Transitions to being the centre forward. 38 and 48. 13, sorry, 12 and 13. Has that horrific leg break. Comes back 53 and 50. 35 and 47, 44 and 51, 41 and 58. I think Henrik Larsson was world-class. And what I would point to is his record in Europe for Celtic. The 174 in 221 in the league is impressive, as are 23 and 25 in the Scottish Cup and 10 and 11 in the Scottish League Cup. But 35 goals in 56 games in European competition – I think I think he was world class. Two hundred and forty two goals in three hundred and thirteen games, and when he went to Barcelona, he had an injury plagued first season. Was excellent in the second season. Scored fifteen in forty two. Was excellent that year. Helped them win a Champions League. I think Henrik Larsson was world class. He's certainly the greatest player Celtic have ever had, in my view. For Celtic. Kenny Dalglish, I think, was a better player, but I think his best years came at Liverpool. But yeah, Henrik Larsson is in the all-time Celtic eleven. I think he's world. I think he was world class. I do. Ryan Loudrup. Had the talent. I think you can make a case that he was world class when he was at Rangers. I really do. I think he was an astonishing player. I'm going to put him a level just below, though. Christian Vieri, no. Great goal scorer. Should have been more than he was. Had everything. The size, the speed, the touch, the finishing ability. He's He's such a bizarre career, though. Like, what a weird career. Plays for, comes through at Torino, plays there two years, nine games, two goals. Then one year at Pisa, one year at Ravenna, one year at Venezia, one year at Atalanta, one year with Juve, one year with Atletico Madrid, one year with Lazio. He joins Inter Milan in 99. He's 26. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They're his ninth club. And like, even as a kid, he was in four different academies. Now, I know he grew up. He grew up in Australia and moved back and whatever else. But like, what a, he's a journeyman, a great journeyman, a, a, a goal machine for Atleti. Pretty good up front for Lazio, not quite the same. Spends six years at Inter. And then he goes to AC Milan for a year, Monaco for a year, Atalanta for a year, Fiorentina for a year, and back to Atalanta for a year. So he's this long career, which spans 91 to 09. He spends two years with Torino to begin. Actually, doesn't. He leaves Torino just into the second season. So it's one season at Torino. One season at Pisa, one at Ravenna, 
one at Venezia, one at Atalanta, one at Juve, one at Atleti, one at Lazio, six with Inter, one with Milan, one with Monaco, one with Atalanta, one with Fiorentina, and one with Atalanta. What a mental career. Uh, I'm going to say a level below world-class, though. Uh, Diego Simeone, no. Very good, but not world-class. Didier Deschamps, no. I think Ian Wright was. I do think Ian Wright was world-class. I think he's always overlooked in conversations about the great strikers of the 90s, but Ian Wright had everything to his game. He was a machine. Uh, Roberto Mancini, yes, I think he was. Uh, Sampdoria-era Mancini, I think, was was world-class. David Ginola, no, a level below, a level below. Great player, though. Um, Guardiola, a level below. Very good, very, very good, but a level below. Uh, Ian Wright's here again, yes, again. Conte, no, good to very good, not not world-class. Either good, Johnson was just a good player. He wasn't world-class. Chris Waddle, I think... There's a strong case that he was. Um, we take a look. Chris Waddle's middle name is Roland, by the way, which will never not amuse me. I don't know why it just does. I think Chris Waddle at Newcastle and Spurs and the first year at Marseille was world class. And when he came back to England with Sheffield Wednesday, he was really, really good. I'm going to say yes on Chris Waddle. Um, Garrett Southgate, no. Good, solid defender. Good holding. I think he could have been a world-class holding midfielder if he played there throughout his career, but he got moved back into defence, and I don't think he was world-class. Handanovic, yes. Friedel, no. Grobelar, no. Rooney. The numbers say yes. The raw numbers of goals. Top scorer for England until Kane broke it. Uh, top scorer for United. But, I mean, how much of that is him being world-class and how much of that is longevity? Now, people can say, oh, he played for United for X amount of years, so of course he was great. But, I mean, if you look at his actual career, he definitely had world-class seasons. I would say yes. However, however, I think Wayne Rooney's world-class from the age of 21 until about 25. I would say Wayne Rooney was world-class from... Probably the 06-07 season through to the end of 09-10. And after that, I don't think he was. He had one really good goal-scoring season after that, 11-12, but a lot of them are tap-ins. But after that, I do feel like there was a huge drop-off. Physically, he wasn't the same. And then people will say, oh, he played in midfield. No, he didn't. Handful of games in midfield. I would say yes. At his, at his peak... Wayne Rooney was world-class, but I think Wayne Rooney started to decline significantly from the age of 25 on. Too much too soon, his body couldn't hold up. Um, Andrea Barzagli, no. One of the best man-to-man markers ever, but not world-class. Uh, Mandzukic, no. Good, but not world-class. Di Natale, no. I love him, but no, definitely not. Forlan, no. Very good goal scorer, not world-class. Danny Carvial. I'm going to say he's a level below. Diego Costa, no. Pepe. No. No. Pepe was very, very good, but no. Jerome Boateng, definitely not. Gareth Bale. Yeah, in a couple of years at Spurs that were world-class, to be fair. He was never the best player in the Premier League, though. He, he, he is in possession of Luis Suarez's Player of the Year awards. But um, I'm going to say, yes, Gareth Bale was world-class. Gary Speed, very, very good, but no. PK. I don't think so. I don't think so. Antoine Griezmann, yes. First time at Atleti, absolutely. 
Olivier Giroud, no. Good player, very good at times, but no. I think Dwight York was world-class. I think Dwight York had a couple of year run at United where he was world-class. Um, he he was so vital to that treble-winning team. It's funny, he only spent four years there. I think the first... I think, actually, if you look at his last three years with Villa and his first two years at United, over that span of time, I think he probably was world-class. But that treble season, he was outrageously good. But you look at that five-year run, 25 in 48, 20 in 43, 16 in 40, Villa weren't good that year, Um, 29 in 52, he joined United after pre after the season started as well, which you know he, he slotted in seamlessly and got them twenty nine goals, and then twenty three and forty seven in the second year, and then he started to get injured. He started to fall out with Ferguson, and then it was all over very quickly. Um, and and he and he went off a cliff, like he had one good season with Blackburn, he had a a decent season with United, a disastrous season with United a good season with Blackburn, and then it was just a mess after that. And he had that good season with Blackburn. Like he was only 32, but he went off the cliff really, really quickly. And that's it. There's your list. So there we go. Uh, AMK2889. <clears throat> Hopefully how I worded all this makes sense. If it doesn't, I apologize. In light of next Monday's college football championship, who is your choice to win? And could you explain how sport over in the UK and Ireland works in relation to universities? Obviously, here in America, college sports are a massive attraction with baseball and football, basketball and football being amongst the most watched sports in the nation. I find it amazing. I'm fascinated by college basketball and particularly college football and how popular they are. Like there are stadiums with over a hundred thousand people full every game for college football. For amateur players, basically. Most of them, not most, many will go on to become pros. But it's amazing to me. And I love it. And I will be watching the college football championship game, without question. Um, Michigan versus Washington. I kind of want Michigan to win purely because I want Harbaugh to win. Just because he's taken a lot of shit over the years. and, And I kind of feel like it would vindicate a lot of what he's done. But I actually want Washington Washington to win because I want the underdog to win. And I think they've done an amazing job. I think they're more they're more fun to watch. Is it Michael Penix? Is that the, the quarterback? He looks a real player, a real pro prospect who in the right offense with the right weapons could be a very, very good pro. And I'm 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 hoping the Huskies win. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Huskies. It is the Huskies, isn't it? Or is that Washington State? Uh University. I should know this. I watched their game against Texas. It is Huskies, yeah. I knew I wasn't losing my mind that much. Yeah. Um I watched the game against Texas. I watched them against Oregon in the previous game. And I'm so impressed by Michael Penix Jr. Dylan Johnson, the running back, he looks a hell of a player. And those receivers, um, uh, McMillan and... Let me look him up. The other receiver is Odunze. They look, they look like pro players. Um, the Polk kid as well. Like they've got three potentially, I think, NFL receivers on that team, and this quarterback, he's so accurate. Is he is he draft eligible this year, or will he be going back? He's twenty three, so I'm assuming he's a he's a senior. He was at Indiana for three years and then transferred. I I don't see how he's not an NFL player. So accurate. But this Washington team, they're just fun. 
And Caelan DeBoer has done an amazing job. And obviously, like, he came in with very little head coaching experience, having only been at Fresno State for one year. But you, you have to be impressed by what he's done the last two years. Well, they finished eighth last year, having had a losing record the previous year and sacked the coach. Um, Chris Peterson had done such a good job there, and I'm, I was a big fan of him. because I, Do you know what it is? He was at Boise State for, I don't know, seven years, eight years. And I always would watch Boise games if I could find them because the, the blue field was just so so funny. Um, and I remember thinking he, he really does appear to have a good handle on what he's doing. And he went to Washington and he did fairly well there, won a couple of Pac-12s. Um, didn't, I was quite surprised when he resigned. And obviously he hasn't taken another job since, which is a bit of a shock to me that he's not, not been picked up by somebody because you look at the records. Um, he never had a losing season at Boise or Washington, actually eight years at Boise, uh, six at Washington. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six bowl wins. Got to bowl games every year. So yeah, a bit of a soft spot for him. And then just, you know, they're the underdog in this game. They were the underdog, I think, against Texas, even though they were the higher-ranked team. And they'll be the underdog against Michigan. But I'm going to go with them. Um, as for how sports work in the colleges here, it's it's not the same. Um, there are scholarships. There are sports scholarships. I don't fully have a handle on how things work all that well in England. Being honest with you, you'd have to ask somebody else. Um... But there are scholarships available here. Now, it's not played on the same level. Like, the Sigurdsson Cup is the is the hurling um, the hurling competition between all the different colleges. And it's it's very competitive. No, am I right? No, Sigurdsson Cup is no, Fitzgibbon Cup is hurling. Sigurdsson Cup is Gaelic. Um, so the, the Fitzgibbon Cup is the one that is really competitive. And the University of Limerick have won it the last couple of years. Prior to that, it was the University College of Cork. Monster teams tend to dominate it. In fact, if we look back, uh, going back to the year 2000, 2001, UCD win it. Then it's Limerick, Waterford, Limerick IT, Cork, Galway, Limerick, Cork, Cork, Waterford, Limerick, Mary Immaculate College, which I'm almost certain is in Limerick. It is indeed. Uh, I think it's a teaching college. Uh, they won it twice. Limerick again, Cork, Cork, cancelled for COVID and Limerick the last two years. So it's been dominated by the Munster teams. It's not a surprise because Munster is our strongest hurling uh, province. But even before that, like you, you go back through the 90s, it's all, all bar one year, it's it's Munster. The 80s, all Munster. You've got to go back to the 70s when it was UCD, that's Dublin, UCG, which was Galway, Maynooth, um, when they were competitive every year. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a big deal. It it doesn't generate the same type of um, same type of crowds or anything. Like, you're not getting enormous attendances at those games. But I'd imagine, like, you're probably getting decent enough crowds at them. But they wouldn't be of it's it's not it's not on the same level. It just isn't. Uh the Sigurdsson Cup, I'm actually surprised I, I know very little about as I as I now think about it. Um, because I do prefer hurling to Gaelic football. Um there is yeah, there's there, I mean there is college sports, it's just not on the same level. It's not on the same level. You can get scholarships, absolutely. Um most colleges offer scholarships for v- various sports. 
um, for for rugby, for soccer or football, uh, for Gaelic football, for hurling. I'm sure for basketball and whatever else, swimming, athletics. There's there's scholarships across the board. The difference is college here, university here, is not as expensive as it is over there. I mean, the fees here are you know. Now, some some are more expensive and some courses are more expensive, but the fees here are a couple of grand a year. You're not talking about taking on a lifetime of debt in this country to go to third-level education. Now, if you want to become a doctor or a vet, those courses are quite expensive and those courses are quite exclusive. They're only offered in a couple of places. But you're still not talking the hundreds of thousands of dollars that you guys would have to pay for for similar levels of education. Um, and therefore, the scholarships don't hold the same value. Like, realistically, if if I was to have a son who was, uh, a, I don't know, a basketball player, and he wanted to go to... North Carolina or Kentucky or Kansas. If he was to go there and pay for his education for four years, what's that going to be? 150 grand? So the scholarship saves him that or saves me that, as the point would be. But 150 grand is ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. But here, like if he's just studying, say, communications or something, because a lot of pro athletes seem to have communications degrees. Here, all he's actually saving if he wants to go to, let's say, Galway, it might be 20 grand, is what he might save over the four years. The other thing is here, we don't have like a one-and-done culture because you're not getting drafted anywhere. If you're a, a, a really good hurler or Gaelic football player or rugby player, you're playing for your club along, and potentially your county alongside your commitments to the university. So let's just say I've got a kid and he goes to the University of Limerick. He's going to play hurling for Limerick, for the University of Limerick, but then he'll also, in most circumstances, play for his local club, whichever club that might be. Now, where I live, nobody plays hurling um, because I think they're scared of it in this part of the country. Don't tell them, but I think they're scared of it. Um, and then he, he could also play for his county team and maybe his under-21 county team or if he's good enough, the senior county team. So it's not the same as in America where they would only just play for the college. They will play outside of it as well. Um, like, for example, I went to college played rugby. I also played for a club team at the same time. And I might play four games a week. Like I might play two college games and two club games in a week and try and get in training around that and try and, you know, undertake my actual education as well. It's little wonder that the education fell by the wayside and that I have, uh, the neck and back of a 75-year-old at this point in my life and the shoulders and knees of a 90-year-old. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I hope that, that explains it, but um, let's let's see if there's anything more. And Nat Phillips has offered a scholarship to North Carolina. Is that because the sport? I, I don't know. I don't know what way it works in England. I don't know if you can get a, a, a soccer scholarship in Ireland. I think you can. Maybe you can't. Maybe you can't. You can get them for certain sports. Gaelic, hurling, and definitely rugby. But they're kind of our national sports, whereas soccer is kind of an English sport and you're kind of looked down on in some in certain parishes. So I don't know if you can get a soccer scholarship. I actually don't. But you can get athletic scholarships. You can get others. Um, the reason a lot of people, like some of the better talent here for soccer and for athletics will also get... Golf, there's no scholarships here, but some people get scholarships to go play golf in America. 
Look, the reason some of them might take that over a scholarship in Ireland is just the the experience of going and living in America. Um, if there are any players that have played at university level, uh, no, there's not. Soccer players won't end up in university in England. They'll end up in an academy at 13 or 14 and then they'll just be progressed into the senior team. It just works different um, here. Uh, as for cricket, uh, I have no idea. Genuinely none. We do play a bit of cricket here. And I believe a couple of the best players for England over the last years have been Irish. Um, but I, I, Daniel Rhodes or Dan Kennett or, or Gags Hannon to be the fellas to ask about cricket. I have less than no idea. Uh, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to do the news and gossip and we'll be done. See you in a sec. Right. Welcome back. So a uh, little bits of news then. Real Madrid extended their unbeaten run to stay top of La Liga. Uh, Girona are not going away, though. They got a great win against Atletico Madrid the night before. Um, They're level on points at Real Madrid. Level on points at Real Madrid after 19 games. Real's defensive record this season is exceptional. Only 11 goals conceded. Um, but Girona have the best attack in, in La Liga with 46 goals so far. Both teams have 15 wins, three draws, one defeat. Um, so that's fun. At least Real are being pushed this year because Barcelona are capable of it. Manchester United have triggered the one-year extension in Aaron Wan-Bissaka's contract. They have also done the same for uh, Victor Lindelof, I believe. And they're also looking at Rafa Varane and Anthony Martial. They should just let those two go. Hannibal Mejbri's also had his contract extended uh, by one year up until 2025. But, I mean, Martial, just let the lad leave. He's been useless. He clearly doesn't want to be there anymore. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. Club sources said that more than 800, I think I've been over this before, 800 right-backs were tracked before they made Aaron Wan-Bissaka their fifth most expensive signing. Let me be really clear on this. Hmm. There are not 800 players for all the positions who are good enough to play for Manchester United, let alone 800 right-backs. So what you have done there is you have either lied or wasted an immense amount of time looking at players that are nowhere near good enough and at, at a glance would clearly be not be good enough. There, there are no more than 15 players in each position at any one time who are good enough to play for Manchester United. If United want to be a serious football club, 15, that's it. Your long list, your very, very long list at most is 40. That's it. What are you looking at 800 players for? And if you did look at 800 players, how do you end up with him? Nonsense. Utter, utter nonsense. Manchester United, just... What a mess. Uh, Kylian Mbappe says he's not made up his mind about his future. Uh, Michael Beale is talking up the game at the weekend between Sunderland and Newcastle. He's obviously the new Sunderland manager. And he's right. It is very, very important. Um, Stephen Clements, the manager of Gillingham, recently appointed, has talked about his father, Ray Clements, and how he regrets that his dad never got to see him be a manager in his own right. Stephen had a pretty good playing career and has been a coach for a number of years on different staffs under Steve Bruce. And Gillingham have given him his opportunity and best of luck to him. I hope it goes well. Um, Thomas Frank has said it will take an unbelievable offer to prize Ivan Tony away from Brentford this month. Yeah, I think he's I think he's definitely staying. Um I I don't see any chance he leaves. In demand phase only focus on promotion. Uh Voot phase has been linked with Atalanta. Probably because 
what's his name? Oh, the fella who was the recruitment guy with Rogers and went to Atalanta. I can't think of his name. Atalanta. I don't think he's the sporting director, is he? Is he the sporting director there? I'm not sure what his role is. Lee Conjurton. He's the managing director of professional football, whatever that is. I, I would imagine um, he played a role. He was definitely the one to put phase on Rogers' radar. Uh, and I'd imagine he's the one who's the driving force behind any interest from Atalanta. Um, There's a quiz here you can do on the BBC website as well when you get some time to take part in that. And Marco Silva, did I say this? Marco Silva has been charged by the FA over comments made about a referee. Um, He had some comments when Raul Jimenez was sent off against Newcastle and about the tackle by Jamal Lachelles uh, prior to that, which I think is what wound... Uh, Jimenez up and ended up with him getting sent off for that bizarre leap at uh, was it Longstaff? Dreadful stuff. Anyway, <clears throat> gossip. Manchester United are interested in making Michael Lise one of the first signings of the Jim Radcliffe era. Michael Lise should run a million miles from Manchester United. Mohamed Salah is moving closer to a new contract extension Liverpool despite interest from the Saudi Pro League. I would love this to be true, but it's Steve Kay who is a spoofer. Saudi Arabia's public investment fund has renewed its interest in Manchester United, sorry, Manchester City and Belgium midfielder KDB and view him as a primary target in the summer. It's Rudy Galletti, so it's probably crap. Borussia Dortmund are hoping to sign Ian Matson either on loan or permanent deal. Dortmund want Jaden Sancho to join them on loan in their Marbella training camp next week. Uh, Chelsea are prepared to let Thiago Silva leave the club when his contract runs out at the end of the season. That's a good decision. Bayern Munich are set to renew their interest in both Joe Polina and Trevo Chalaba. Um, Yeah, they came close to signing both in the summer. I think if they got both, I think it makes them a real Champions League contender, to be honest. Crystal Palace are interested in Eddie, in Eddie and Ketia, but Arsenal will not sell. It is Ben Jacobs. He's a spoofer. I think it's clear. They don't want to sell regardless of anything else. Uh, Girona manager, Michelle Sanchez, has emerged as a potential replacement for Eddie Howe. Well, he's done a great job this year. There's no question. But I have to believe that if Newcastle decide to move on from Eddie Howe, they will go with a more proven quantity. Now, he's been managing since 2017. He was at Rio Vecano. He did okay. He was at Wesco. He did okay. Got both of them teams promoted. Um, and he's done a great job at Girona, but I just don't see him being the guy that they go for. Uh, Leon want. Said Ben Rama, Wolves and Fulham both interested. Timo Werner has emerged as a serious, serious transfer target for Manchester United with RB Leipzig set to allow a loan deal. Everton are seeking to offload Andre Gomes because of his high wages. He's actually been their best midfielder the last couple of games. Monaco are in discussions with West Ham over a loan with an option to buy for Tilo Carrer. Sheffield United are close to signing Ben Brierton-Diaz on loan until the end of the season, which kind of screws with the article I put up on uh, anfieldindex.com, EPLindex.com yesterday. Um, it appears like he is or has signed for Sheffield United. I had him suggested as a signing for Luton. I think he'd work there. Uh, on loan it was, but, you know, it is what it is. Wolves are in advanced talks to sign Noha Lamina, uh, the 18-year-old midfielder from PSG, who is the younger brother of Mario Lamina, the Wolves midfielder. Now, he's an attacking midfielder. Um, he's been on loan with Sampdoria, but it's 
it doesn't seem to be going all that well and they would like to send him somewhere else. Now, he's very highly rated, very, very highly rated. So it'd be interesting if there's any kind of option to buy or anything included. Uh, Zach Steffen is set to leave Manchester City and sign for Major League Soccer side Colorado Rapids. Um, hasn't worked from in England, I think it's fair to say. But I do think he was good on loan last season with Borough. And I was a little bit surprised he didn't get another loan in the summer. But such is life. That'll do, folks. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.